Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world. Produced at the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country in Melbourne and broadcast across this continent via the Community Radio Network. I'm Tisha Nahan. La ZAD elle est même pas morte Je dirais même qu'elle est encore plus forte Dans la révolte contre les normes que l'État porte Quand une armée de GM arrose de lacrymogènes Des gens absents de GM It's the story of a campaign against an airport Of utopian land projects Prefigurative politics An autonomous zone It's the story of farmers, squatters and anarchists On 4,000 acres of land in the French countryside It's called the ZAD and it's located near Nantes in western France. In February this year, the French government announced it was abandoning its long-held plans to build an airport on the ZAD site. But this seeming victory for the campaign has thrown up new problems as the French state seeks to violently reassert its power over the land. Amy and Jack have both been involved with the ZAD. Here, they speak with Suze from 3CR's sewer program about the history of the ZAD campaign. So the ZAD is a term that was first put on the piece of land where the airport being, was being proposed. Um, it was put on by the, um, by the French government, by the people who were planning to do the airport, and it's an acronym ZAD that, if you translate it into English, it means a zone of changing status. So where before there was farmland... Um, and some farmhouses, like in between some different towns. They wanted to change the status of this land to be able to have it counted as, I guess, transport or infrastructure. Um, In time, this name was reappropriated by people who came to actually move onto the land um, to mean zone to defend, basically. And so that was initially where that term came from, and it ended up being... Um, taken up by a lot of different sites in France that got inspired by what was happening on this site against the airport and wanted to do similar projects in their local area. So, so you know, there's a lot of history in this space, but essentially um, it became popularised and recognised as, like, a pretty big struggle, I guess, in 2012 when the police came and tried to evict yep. the space. And they were unsuccessful in that time, but it mobilized thousands of people to come and be involved in the struggle. And then, you know, either they stayed or either they went back home to their local areas and realized that there were similar infrastructure projects. You know, whether it was dams or it was like holiday parks for tourists from (laughs) Holland or like a, a lot of different projects like this. They were going to be put in, so they kind of set up their own resistance. They made their own occupations. Well, that's pretty amazing, the proliferation of the idea mm. across yeah. the world, like fighting capitalist economy structures. Yeah, and, totally. Yeah. Well, across France, you know, there's always been a pretty long history about land occupation mm. in Australia with Tasmania and other places, you know, more recently with the frontline coal action mm. stuff in Queensland. But in France, it was a pretty new idea, like I don't think, besides Larzac. Larzac, there'd been, yeah, there yeah. was an occupation in the 80s against the military installation down in the southeast but and there have been other land occupations but um but i guess this was like the biggest one and the one that took off the most and is like 
created a name for itself and has a name. And in 2012, so many people flocked. I've seen some amazing inspirational videos mm. of people like, you know, staking, you know, their claim to the land um, and also like vowing to come back and fight should evictions continue to happen. Yeah, totally. Mm. It was happening already a long time before that, though. That was actually like 2012 was um, culmination. a long time before. Like the first announcement of the airport project was in 1972. Yeah. You know, so people in the local area at least were starting to already mobilize against mm. this idea of the airport coming to, you know, like because this is it's farmland. It's not it's not the same kind of scale as you have in Australia where there's, you know, like some pristine ancient forest that's being destroyed or something like that. Um, you know, for coal mine or whatever's going on here. Mm. But in France, because all the land's already kind of been used for one purpose, used for another, used for mm. another, like to actually have this much farmland, like it's quite a quite a big area of land that was under threat. Yeah, it's huge. Well, there still is. And where there are still people who are like living relatively traditional lives in this zone as you can still living close enough to town, like that's quite a big deal actually. Yeah, it's huge. To be resisting against against this, you know, mm. like... It's taking up their livelihoods as well. Like yeah. it's interesting the comparison you draw between like Australia's pristine old growth and um, and the Zard. And I'm, you know, I feel like that's probably a reason why it grew so big because it was there, it was tangible, yeah. and kind of similar to the anti-fracking campaign that happened. That you could go to farmers and say like, this is, you know, the government's trying to take away your land, your livelihood. Yeah, except um, that in France, like on this zone there, it was the farmers themselves who realised what was happening mm-hmm. and they started to mobilise. And it wasn't until you know, like they started to do stuff in 1972. And then it wasn't until 2007 that actually the first place was squatted and, Ooh. you know, like people from the lo- from the big city nearby where there was already a squatting movement, they started to get involved at that time. So this is already a whole generation later. Yeah, okay, wow. That, you know, the resistance is still going on and before that time it was mostly the local farmers that were doing it. It wasn't people coming from outside and, yep. you know, trying to mobilise them. They were mobilising themselves. Well, there are local farmers and local people living on or around the zone who aren't farmers. Yeah. But you know, banding who, together with their community. Yeah, who weren't always seeing eye to eye mm-hmm. because they don't necessarily have the same interest because if you live there, um, you have your house on the, in the area, but you don't have land. You know, like there's small conflicts of interest, but they were together. I'm really intrigued mm-hmm. about what happened between that phase of like 1972 and like, you know, 2007 to 2012, you know, when the sort of more anarchist squatters community got involved, mm-hmm. um, how the farmers were mobilising themselves and... Um, how effective that was, obviously. It seems as though, maybe I'm wrong, correct me if I am, but that the government seemed to really arc back up or arc up more when, you know, there was a heavier resistance that wasn't based in the local community. I mean, I guess it's also about them getting their shit together to actually build the airport Mm, at that time. And so then um, the people who were living there felt more of a threat and so that's when they started to ask for people to come and move and help them in this resistance as well. Yeah, okay, cool. There was a big yeah. gap, like, between when... So people, like, in 72, like, people kind of opened the local newspaper and found out they were going to have an airport basically built on the land. Yeah. And that, was then, the, that was how they were notified, uh, an article in the newspaper, yeah. And then the first kind of associations of local people and local farmers... Um, came together so they were more doing obviously legalist actions mm. and and there also wasn't any work going on okay. at the time to resist like to physically resist and it was only in the early 2000s that they actually started coming to do like um try to take soil samples and that's when the local people and the farmers and small groups of people from north the city about 20 k's down the road where there's has been a quite strong squatting movement for for a while mm. already before this mm. um we're getting together and 
trying different modes of action to to block the machines, and they did have quite a lot of police coming out there. And um, but yeah, it wasn't really until two thousand, like in two thousand seven, the first house was squatted, Le Rosier, which is partially still there now because it was destroyed, but mm. partially rebuilt. Is a long story. But in two thousand and nine, there was like a climate camp there, organised by the local associations against the airport to kind of get people from all over France and different parts of Europe there. Mm-hmm. And um, during that, there were like a lot of different actions going on and discussions and stuff, but there was a, a local group called Les Habitants qui Résistent, like the inhabitants who resist, whatever you call it, <laughs> who, who are not farmers, who are an informal group, and they made a call out for people to come and squat the land. Mm. And so basically directly after that climate camp, there were two houses that were squatted, so that was... Both of those houses have since been destroyed, but yeah. there's still people living on the land. And then and then that, that kind of got the ball rolling. And, and then in 2010 and 11, it really, there was people squatting a lot. I mean, we could go into it more, but mm. there were people squatting all over the place. I guess the reason it's important to realise as well that the reason there were so many empty houses is because people were being convinced to move out, to leave the space empty for the airport the government was buying the houses back so that's why there were so many empty houses there as well you know it's not it's not just normal that there's like 20 farmhouses empty in the french countryside i'm interested about the history but also like interested around the philosophy of the zard and like um the ways in which that sort of intersects with how the the space has been held down yeah yeah like it's an anti-capitalist movement at its core yes yeah i guess so not for everybody but for a lot of people it was this slogan that people were using a lot, which was uh, contre l'aéroport is someone, which means like against the airport and the world that it represents. Mm. So that's kind of talking specifically about the capitalist um, aspects of needing to continue to change land usage and continue to put infrastructure projects everywhere and stuff like that. Because the idea being that, you know, like the nearest city is 20 kilometres away. So the the thing that the city of Nantes was wanting to do is basically to make like a metropolis that's going in between itself and yeah. the other nearest city. So having this zone here being occupied was really preventing them from doing that. Like it wasn't just about an airport, it was also about extending the city 20 kilometres in one direction. Mm, okay. You know, so there's that aspect of it. You know, like it's also an anti-capitalist struggle, but not for everybody. There was a lot of people there who had different intentions and politics, especially the farmers who'd been there since before the space was squatted and they were specifically against the airport. So, you know, like already this is kind of leading to a bit of complicated, like, you know, like contention in terms of what people are um, hoping to get out of occupying this piece of land. You're listening to Earth Matters. And today... We're hearing about the ZAD, an autonomous zone of resistance in rural France. It's the site of a 40-year struggle against a proposed airport. But it is also so much more than that. The ZAD has become an autonomous zone of social experimentation, a place to create coalitions, imagine new ways of living together and meeting collective needs, and an experiment in living utopia today. With the announcement to abandon the airport, a seeming victory for the ZAD movement has thrown tensions into sharp relief and raised the question of what it's all about. All this as the state sweeps in with heavy police violence. Amy and Jack pick up the story with Sam, 
a long-time resident of the ZAD, who's currently on the ground there. Following the decision of the French government to cancel the airport, there was this idea that was being portrayed by the French media and other sources about the victory of the resistance from the cancellation. Um, how did this actually feel for people living on the space? Did it feel like it was a victory for everybody there or was it like a bit mixed? I feel like I can't speak for everybody. I feel like there definitely was a general feeling of euphoria. I, f- I feel like we always felt like we were faced with an impossible task to beat this massive airport that was apparently really important for none. The state said it was really important, less so for none, but more so for the president of when they decide to do a big project. It's not up for the little people on the ground to decide that they're not going to do the project. So I think it was a really important thing for them to hold strong and defeat the resistance. And when finally the state capitulated and gave in to the resistance and cancelled the project, there was definitely a feeling of surprise and that the resistance wasn't in vain. Not that resistance was ever in vain, but yeah, we'd won definitely something. I feel like, yeah, we, there was a day when people had kind of a, the day of the announcement. It was like a big party. Everyone was walking around everywhere um, and we partied in the evening. And definitely it felt like a victory. I feel like that euphoria lasted about 24 hours. <laughs> and then suddenly it turned into this weird confusion and fear and sadness because I feel like everybody knew that the Zad that had existed up, up until then, its existence was kind of thanks to the fact that we were in this ambiguous state of resisting against a big project that had massive support for the resistance that we were fighting and the indecision of the state and that we knew that whatever happened, if they decided to cancel the airport, there would be the situation would change and probably the Zad that we knew wouldn't be resisting. It would be easier to evict the Zad once there wasn't this mass movement against the airport that it was fighting. And and just that things had changed. So yeah, definitely it felt like a victory of sorts. But also loads of us weren't there fighting just against this airport. The airport was partly a pretext. It allowed for this massive land occupation that came to centralise loads of different struggles against loads of different things and the different ways of organising internally or different projects using the land that only were possible because there was this massive state project that was on hold because of resistance that allowed us to occupy loads of space. So all of the other things that other people were, had moved to the ZAD for, we hadn't won them and in a way they were more threatened once the airport was abandoned than, than before it was abandoned. And all of the other struggles that people were fighting obviously hadn't been won. Yeah. One of the, the biggest slogan of the ZAD is against the airport and its world and we cancelled the airport but the world was still happily rolling on just like ever before. The prison was still being built. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, shopping centres were still being built and the rich were still rolling in it. And yeah, so we, we hadn't yet caused capitalism to crumble. <gasps> oh, no. <we're> in. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there was definitely a partial victory. For sure. So I guess that this, um, like the decision to cancel the airport had a lot of different impacts for people living there and um, I guess the most notable one of those impacts was the eviction that started in April. And as as we could understand from over here, like that eviction was actually kind of, it seemed to be that the police were specifically targeting certain areas and not others. Do you see that there's some pretext for why there were some areas, like some parts of the zone that were 
you know, designed or that the cops decided to put their focus on destroying those ones and left other places completely untouched. The state has always, in any fight that it takes on, one strategy, which is divide the opposition. And it's, that's been the strategy with the movement against the airport for that we know for the last however many years. Mm-hmm. That before that division was good NGOs, good farmers, um, good politicians fighting against the airport, that they're the ones that fight in the right way, and bad squatters, they're the ones that fight in a bad, illegal way. <laughs> then, since the airport got cancelled, that this, or even already a bit before the airport got cancelled, that discourse changed into good legal people resisting the airport, plus good squatters, that, that, sudden, that the division moved to internal to the squatters, so rather than all squatters being bad and all NGOs, farmers being good, it became some of the squatters are good and some of the squatters are bad. So yeah, I guess for me it was a sign that clearly it thought that the occupation movement, the squatting movement was too strong to get rid of completely. So they moved the line of where they were trying to create that division to in turn to the bad. The thing that they used to distinguish was especially around a road that had been barricaded for the last six years. Yeah, basically had like a geographical boundary. So they said everyone around that road, that they're the people that are really menacing to the state. They're the really radical ones. Um, They're the violent ones. They're the ones that refuse to legalize and to negotiate with us. So we're going to evict people around the road. I think partly it was feeding this rhetoric of a divided zad between squatters with good intentions that were kind of almost only incidentally squatters but really they want to be good legal citizens mm-hmm. farming and making money and bad squatters that just want to fight the police. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also on the ground, I think also they just evicted chunks of areas that they could what, they could circle, they could encircle an area with police and then evict everyone inside the area. So actually in the end, I don't, I don't think they tried to target really exactly. They just also wanted to be able to evict a certain amount of cabins to to show that they were strong and and to make make us feel scared. Mm. I think there was definitely a... They wanted to evict part of the ZAD to make the rest of the ZAD agree to do what they told us to do. Rather than trying to evict the whole ZAD at once and risking a really massive resistance that maybe they couldn't deal with, they evicted part of it, partly the ones that were less supported and isolated, but not just, and also to, by evicting part of it, to force the rest of us to scare the rest of us into doing what they want us to and therefore not having to evict us. So there's been a group of people involved in the movement from different parts of the movement who have been meeting and negotiating with the government since the since they announced that they were going to cancel the airport or they're not going to build the airport and especially since this last round of evictions. And yeah. we were just kind of wondering if you give us a bit of like a, a rundown of what they've been discussing and what's, I guess, the implications of that. I guess I'm going to give a bit of a backstory, which is that the movement, up until up until the airport was abandoned, the movement was united in this common, or at least we had a common objective that we could fight together with. Obviously, the ZAD, fighting against the airport wasn't our only objective, but that was what allowed us to fight alongside all the other parts of the struggle against the airport. And that kind of, even though it wasn't always easy, it kind of allowed us a relative unity and kind of meant that the divisive tactics, so our kind of illegal tactics or more physical physical resistance 
kind of was tolerated by other parts of the movement because it went in the same same direction. And also, previously, our common objective was completely against the state. The state wanted one thing, we wanted the complete opposite. And now suddenly the objective of some elements of the movement wasn't, weren't at all against the state. The farmers that had been fighting to defend their land for 40 years, now the airport is abandoned. The state wants to give them back their land, and they obviously want their land back. So there is there's loads less necessary conflict with the state. Whereas what the ZAD obviously wishes to maintain this semi-autonomous zone that allows for... Uh, uh, and who knows what it's, what it's going to become. But obviously our objectives are completely against the state. So that definitely the uni- unity... Unity was less of a given, and people felt like they were in a weaker position now that there wasn't this obvious unity, and that what the Zad was fighting for was the thing that was hardest to get from the state. I think all of that led to the fact that some people that live on the Zad felt it was really important to have a common strategy as a movement against the state once the airport was abandoned, and that common strategy was seeking negotiating with the state about to try and gain a future, a collective future for the ZAD that would be controlled by not just the squatters, but the movement against the airport. I guess this was the basis of the negotiation, was with an objective to create, to get the state to give us control of the ZAD to the the land that that was going to become an airport to control for the rest of eternity. I guess this was definitely the top goal and things haven't quite turned out like that. The state wasn't really that willing to negotiate and just said we're going to evict you unless you all sign up to be individual farmers and start farming and you all the only people that can stay are official farmers that are going to make money and all the others have to leave. Sam, one of the squatters at the ZAD. The situation there is changing fast so Amy gives us an update. The police and the French state have been specifically targeting some parts of the ZAD for eviction. So the first people that they actually evicted after taking the structures off the road were the people that they deemed to be the the more radical um, of everybody that was living there. So these were the people that got evicted first. Within a week, there was 40 places destroyed, which is quite a lot over, um, you know, over the whole area. At the same time as this was happening, there were other people who were living there that were in the process of negotiating with the state to be able to legalise their projects for, or to legalise the land that they were squatting as agricultural projects. You know, so there's definitely been a breakdown in solidarity between people who are living on the site, um, which has been ongoing. You know, like it's it's got a long history. It's not a recent thing but it, like more recently it's become a lot more serious because it's actually regarding the future of the space and people showing that they are willing to negotiate with the state you know alongside people who are completely against putting any negotiation through it at all costs so since the 9th of may there were over 300 people treated by the medic team for example this was all due to injuries by the police um, so this, like in France, it's legal for the police to use rubber bullets and tear gas, which is just used like, you know, like all the time. 
you know, it's like a pretty normal thing that if you're going into a demo or any kind of situation like this in France, that you're going to have to be dealing with tear gas or pepper spray if you get a bit closer to them and they'll actually spray you in the face kind of thing. And also grenades. Um, there was one type of grenade that contained 60 grams of TNT that um, was responsible for murdering an environmental activist in France a couple of years ago. So they're now no longer using this type of grenade. Um, on the sites, like people were successful in getting this type of grenade prohibited from use on environmental occupations, but there is still one type of grenade that contains 25 grams of TNT, um, which they've been using, what was it, I think there was like over 11,000 of these type of grenades that have been used since the first week of May. So this, this type of grenade, the one that has... Uh, 25 grams of TNT and it was responsible for someone, a 21-year-old guy from Lille, like from the other side of France who'd never been to the ZAD before. He lost his hand on the 22nd of May as a result of this type of grenade being thrown towards him or at him or whatever was going on. Just even just with that story on its own with the story of Maxine, like this guy who lost his hand, um, even to take that in a snapshot, of what was happening at that time gives you an indication about how the police are trying to kind of put a, a more radical light on the zone, on, on the people that are um, occupying the zone and continuing to be um, to be active there than what's actually happening because the police were claiming that what Maxime was doing was actually picking up the grenade with the intention of throwing it back at the police, which is something that's like quite stupid, like who could do that, you know? But so Maxine is like currently facing charges for for weapons while he's just lost his hands from throwing this grenade. So it's like quite a serious thing that's just happened for this guy. But, you know, like that's just one story of like hundreds of stories. There's so much stuff happening all the time, which is really quite difficult to keep up with. So to date, in terms of the re repression and people who have gone to court cases and stuff like that, since the start of May, there's been 20 court cases that have been assisted by the anti-rep team on Lazad, which doesn't mean that there's been 20 in total, but just that there's been 20 that the legal aid team have been assisting people with. Of those 20 court cases, there's been three people banned from the area for between two and five years. And there's been several thousand euros in fines. There were three people who were refused bail, so they were maintained in prison while waiting for their court case. And there were six people who have ended up serving prison sentences of between four months and two years as a result of what's been happening in the last month. For listeners who would like to keep up with what's happening at the ZAD and to find out more uh, and perhaps even to uh, lend their support and solidarity, where can they go to, to find out more information and get involved? Um, so there's a website, like the, I guess the website that is being maintained by people who are making the negotiation. Like this is how fractured it's been is that now there's two different websites where you'll find information on one website that you wouldn't see anything of on the other. You know, like this is how fractured it's becoming. It's kind of like the movement has two different websites. So for people who are in the process of negotiating and having the Convention of Precarious Occupations put in place. Um, the website that they're maintaining is zad.nadir.org, which is zad.nadir.org. And then the other site that is being maintained by people who are still wanting to resist and squat the land and things like this is zadresist, 
Z-A-D-R-E-S-I-S-T point anti-rep A-N-T-I-R-E-P point net N-E-T La ZAD elle est même pas morte Je dirais même qu'elle est encore plus forte Dans la révolte contre les normes que l'État porte Quand une armée de GM You've been listening to Earth Matters Community Radio's National Environmental Justice Program I'm Tisha Nahern Thanks to Suze and 3CR's sewer program for the interview with Amy, Jack and Sam. And the music that you heard was Mem Par Mot by Zad Social Rap. You can find them on SoundCloud. If you missed any of today's show, you can find our podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. Earthmatters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country. If you'd like to get in contact, you can send us an email at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page. I hope you can tune in next time for more Earth Matters. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.